0: up listeners another episode of escape from plenty for you and i think everyone knows what we're here to talk about but introducing me chris your host here with jess and teen what's up guys
1: hey what's going on yep.
0: yeah so so uh, a little thing happened very recently well, what happened again you guys want to discuss skip the banter let's get right into it <laughs>
1: yeah our film is
0: finished no, no, yeah. I, met, I I actually no, no, met. Uh, no, I met the Harvard decision. I was yeah, like being
2: the coy. No, yeah. the real. No, yeah. we're talking about the real stuff. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, our short, yeah. Our short film. Yes, I mean that's so nobody's surprise. The Supreme Court came out six to two. It wasn't sixty 6-3 because Katanji Jackson Brown, uh, I think, was on the. I was on one of the relevant boards. At Harvard yeah she recused herself so she had to recuse herself uh but she did write you know she did provide an, a dissenting opinion a much maligned opinion by the majority and uh I think I read through Robert's opinion the it was that was the majority opinion, and I think all six justices on the um on the on that side c- you know concurred in that opinion, so that is the majority opinion and it seems from my read of it, yeah, affirmative action, as we know, it is dead. That 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 is how I read it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I knew that it was coming out sometime towards the end of June. But, um yeah, you know, it's just like I totally forgot about it. And be like, oh, damn, this happened. And, yeah, as you said, we all knew this would happen just based on what, uh, you know, obviously the court's leaning right wing. And I think after the oral arguments, people were pretty... Like you could tell, the court had made uh, made up its mind, but you know everyone had, had their tweets ready to go and all that shit. Uh, so yeah,
2: know. that shit was drafted long before the ruling. But just as a little exercise for at least this this pod, let's take a, let's stay away from talking about things as like right wing or left wing. Just as a little exercise, because I think in uh, like uh, this is this is one of the few like Supreme Court rulings that I've ever like read read as opposed yeah, to just too. you know you know like skimming it. I was since law school. I mean, I remember doing that for like debate team in high school. Um, uh, but like like you know I, I was barely paying attention even then too this is the first one I actually like tried to read. And one of the big things that jumps out at me is how different the the news is about it versus what it actually is on paper. Uh, like oh, what yeah. it, what is actually being argued. And I and yeah. I think uh, and I think that's probably true for probably all of these cases. Um what it's presented in the media is I guess what Chris Hedges would call a pseudo-event. Basically just sound bites more designed for entertainment and like emotional release than any than anything substantive. Because it's so misleading that it's almost um counterfactual the way it's presented in the press.
0: Yeah, and I, I have this uh, piece I'm going to publish on my Substack. It's called Salieri Redemption. Show me some love listeners, go subscribe. But The sub stack a- is called Salier-
1: Salieri Redemption, not yes. the
0: piece. Oh, yeah, no, no, that would make absolutely no sense. Okay, I just um, want to make that clear. Yeah, but yeah, it, it is this, nobody really cares about the law. It, it, it is really an expression of emotion, which ultimately comes down to like, do we think diversity is a worthy goal? That should be pursued in all aspects of society from you know the top level government to in your personal lives. That's what people are really debating. Like I have not really read, I think, a Supreme Court decision, probably since law school, especially nowadays, since I'm not even a litigator, although I am a lawyer still. Uh and you know, nobody really cares about the law. This is all about what we feel like we society should be doing. And if the law happens to kind of intertwine with that, great. But that's what it's really about, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it's very lazy and undisciplined it's people projecting their own personal wish list of things that they want out of out of things without understanding anything that's actually going into it. And that's not to sound paternalistic necessarily. It's saying like there's a structure and function to this that people are completely ignoring. Like um like correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the it's the Supreme Court, which is still a court. So they can only respond to cases brought to it right which can only be challenges to laws that have been passed right
1: yes and it has to be it has to be um you know a a a suit that's brought by someone who has the proper quote standing to to actually even bring the suit which is actually like a big controversy in that other big case that came the other big decision that came down about um I think it was called Groff or something like that. It was it was this other one about you know, a woman who didn't want to make wedding cakes for gay couples, but she didn't actually have a cake business. She was like thinking about building a cake <laughs> business. And so there was a lot of question about whether she had adequate standing to um actually bring the case since she couldn't really demonstrate harm. And if you notice in the beginning, um, you know, the you know, the, the Supreme Court does go through whether these this sffa organization actually has standing to sue whether ed blum has any standing and whether these asian students actually became a meaningful you know did they suffer any meaningful harm uh and a lot of people said no they don't because they went to some other school so fuck them right so i i mean of course they the supreme court rejected all of the standing challenges and i think the lower courts did too so that wasn't at issue I think in SFFA, they there yeah, there was a proper I, I, there was a proper uh, dispute here.
0: Yeah, I skipped those parts. Like when I was reading through this decision, it seemed like more of a formality. But in this case, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I've been reading through not only the Supreme Court decision, but also the um, what what do they call the First Circuit decision, which you know it, this court is like reviewing.
1: As I was writing my piece for the Substack that's, and then that's, Tina, the intermediate, com- that's the intermediate appellate court, right? right.
0: Yeah, right. for for all you non-lawyers out there, essentially at the federal level, there are three levels of the court. There's a district court. So this was first heard in the district court of Massachusetts. Some big states uh, have like multiple district courts. Like California has what, like three, um, but Massachusetts only has one. Heard it there, then it goes up another level, which is the first district uh, court. Which is, you know, encompasses several states. I believe uh, New York's in the what second? Second? Yes. Uh, yeah, we're circuit. second. Yeah, that's how rusty I am. And then they supported the, the, the lower court, and now it goes up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is obviously the top level, it gets to essentially um, have final say on everything. So I was reading through that. And, and SFFA uh, lost in
1: both. Both lower courts, right? Yeah.
0: But I'm sure they were like, didn't care because they knew. Well, I I don't know what the Supreme Court makeup was at the time when I think the, when it first appeared at the district court level, I think it was what, 2018, 2019. So I'm not quite sure what the court makeup was. But hey, Trump was in office at the time. So they probably knew if we could get this to the Supreme Court, we can win. So we don't care if we lose at the kind of like minor league level. But anyway, uh, was it last night I called you, teen, where I was like, I'm going through this um first circuit decision i'm going through this regression analysis of the personal oh, yeah. score i i, I want to make sure i'm understanding this because I, I don't have a degree in you know hieroglyphics Statistics. i don't think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't quite understand this and you're like bro chill out they didn't even talk about this in the supreme court decision i'm like damn you're right yeah. uh so uh, teen you want to talk more about that like what exactly is the supreme court decision saying well,
2: hold on just just one just one quick comment on uh, the reaction that i'm seeing um mm-hmm. And just coming from a complete non law background, um, uh, just tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think I'm correct here. The, su- the Supreme Court, nothing the Supreme Court, really any like judicial branch, any element, any agent of the judicial branch can do. They can't make law, right? They can respond, they can uphold a law, they can strike it down, but they can't exactly uphold laws that
0: don't exist. Yeah, that's the legislative branch. Right. So it
2: seems like in, in this case, and I've seen hints of this in others, although I haven't read those rulings, it seems like a lot of the popular reaction is, well, in a proper world, this should have been law, but they're actually bound to, they can't, they can't, they can't do anything about that. So the really the challenge is- do wait, some...
1: wait, 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 hold on. What do you mean that this, what should have been law?
2: Um. It seems like the popular reaction to this, uh, It's. it seems like the majority opinion, like- uh, uh criticizes the dissent for this that they are not they are not citing proper case law or any precedent for their opinions that they're basically um they're basically talking about a world they wished they lived in essentially you mean the
1: dissent that the dissent yeah. is doing or
2: the problem. popular reaction to stuff like this right in a proper in their ideal world there would have been strong laws you know upholding you know uh, racial quotas or, you know, pro, uh, pro-affirmative action, you know, stronger statutes supporting the policies that they wanted. I mean, there, wanted. Are, there
1: are statutes that do that.
2: Yeah, but, you know, in my... But I'm just talking about like the, the procedure of this, right? Like the Supreme yeah. Court or any court, they can't exactly uphold a law that doesn't exist.
0: Right. Th- that's long been the accusation often by conservatives against activist judges that they're stepping over a line of merely reviewing existing law and going out of their way to create law and I I think it just goes to our our point where nobody at at least you know the popular discourse like nobody really cares about what exactly the divisions of the government are they're just voicing their emotional um desires of what should be and you know law who cares it's boring fuddy-duddy stuff
2: yeah, I mean, and the thing I want to point out here is that it just, it's just—it's just notable. in like another, you know, real like uh, a real uh, touch point here is the abortion issue, right? We tend to hyper-focus on Supreme Court rulings about that, but there hasn't really be, been any change on the legislative side in decades at this point.
1: Oh yeah, and I think that the there was a famous uh, Reuters article from two thousand nine uh where the report i think it was a reporter from reuters who asked obama whether now that he had a super majority of the senate and held the house whether they were going to go ahead and codify Roe. and he said absolutely not because you know there's it's like i think Roe is sufficient for now and you know we want to keep our powder dry because there's other priorities right now and they didn't want to do it and i think the reason they didn't want to do it is because Exactly for that reason is that the Supreme Court is really not politically uh it's not politically accountable to people and by design. Right? These are yeah, not so elected it's kept, judges. It's
2: kept as it's almost weaponized then. Exactly. It's not in the law. Yeah. It's kept precarious. It's subject right. to challenge. Uh so this is a real that's a it's a it's a real, you know, damning yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, and there's they're characterized, these, these people are, you know, we caricaturize them on the liberal to conservative spectrum. So we've been taught to hate originalists. We're, we've been taught to hate Scalia. I'm not saying we should love Scalia. But in re, in hindsight, I think what Scalia had been saying all along as an originalist was saying, you know, we really don't think that nine people in an unelected body as the Supreme Court... Is a secure way to to if you if you want that right to protect abortions, he's they you know the originalists on the court were very clear. They said the Constitution is not going to stand in the way of such a law, but you need to pass that law. But what what have liberals been saying? It's the Supreme Court's fault, and very few people reference Obama's failure to to pursue codification when the um, when the political. Uh, situation was in that favor they didn't do it because they like you said i mean there are probably a lot of lawmakers on the democratic side that would could possibly lose their seat if they started to expend political capital towards such a project and so the natural answer was well the supreme court seems like they've got it right it was the originalists that were saying no this is not safe you know and ultimately it i you know scalia scalia wasn't even part of the court that overturned roe yeah. So, you know, I, I think people would have done better to not caricaturize Scalia, and now people are caricaturizing, and I would add in a very racist way, Thomas as well. They caricaturize him as an yeah. idiot who can't who's basically illiterate and is only on there because he was, you know, George W. Bush's uh, coon or or whatever, you know, or you know, some some really racist pejorative notion of Thomas.
2: Man, it really went mask off. It's disgusting. This, I'm sorry. Dis- it is
1: disgusting. I'm not saying you have to like Thomas. I'm not saying that you have to agree with Thomas. But I think some of the liberal caricature of him has shaded into some of the most racist shit I've ever seen.
2: I mean, about tying it back black, into this you know, decision. A
1: uh, uh, high U.S. official who's black. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah. No, th- totally. I sorry, Sorry for cutting off. No, I mean, just the past couple of days, I've seen so many... Uh, takes that basically boil down to Clarence Thomas was helped by affirmative action and how dare he betray us
1: oh yeah they said he was helped he was helped by affirmative action and so he better he should have gotten in line as if they're like I'm like dude you this is so not the level at which this case is being decided like people don't like everyone out there on Twitter like you know giving their little racist takes or dunking on this court you know this judge or that I'm like you don't know anything like, you don't even know the basics, so just please shut up. But yes, this has all been politicized and weaponized, and everyone thinks that their take matters. And I'm like, go read the opinion, see if you can understand it, and then maybe tease out what's actually going on, and then we can have a conversation about it. But- yeah,
2: I will say, you know, like, like I, I – I, uh, maybe it's because I was re- – the last time I I did this, I was reading, like like, stuff from the Warren Court – or like a hundred years ago, so the mm-hmm. language was too impenetrable. When I, you know, I, yes. I opened this up, it has gotten like more
1: readable over time. it, sure. it
2: is. So if anybody is just kind of intimidated or doesn't want to, it's it's very very readable. It's and I feel like it's at the case. level of like a history textbook, honestly. Yeah,
1: you know, not
0: much Latin, so don't be scared off. Yeah, know,
1: funny enough, this is a very simple case. This does not involve like a very you know a lot of the stuff the Supreme Court does is like very technical. It involves a lot of like very technical stuff and procedural histories and you know whatever. This is this is a very like basic case when it comes to the yeah. application of. There's like what we call three the equal cases. Yeah. yeah,
2: there's like three cases that form like ninety percent of their their sites. You know, it's not exactly yes. a huge Actually, case. ideologically complicated. Okay, so why were? Okay, so now we go here, through those. Hmm? Yeah. So like just. I broke it down um, in our outline as um, just, it helped me think about it this way. Like, what is, what does this case actually entail? Right. And what does it not entail? I feel like the, the popular reaction to it got everything about that incorrect.
1: Right. People weren't, weren't talking about
2: things that it actually was actually at stake and projecting a whole bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with this case onto it.
0: Right. They're just projecting their uh, ideal society. They're like, you know, progressive, diverse society, but um, yeah. Let's get down well, to the cases. Coherent. again. Yeah, so let's uh, let's go through it. Yeah, guys, feel free to jump in. I'll just I'll just lay an outline. I'm sure I'll get things wrong, so you know, jump <laughs> in. So let's start with backy, which is the the thing that gets cited a lot. So there's this case that comes out saying, okay, what the hell is affirmative action for? Is it to uh make up for all the you know crimes of slavery, Jim Crow, Reconstruction, all that? Or is it to advance the okay? So advance the state interest of diversity
1: because there's this thing called okay. Okay, Let, I think before we talk about backy, we got to talk about strict scrutiny. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: Tina, you want to take that? Well,
2: okay, well, the way I thought of it. And correct me if I'm incorrect. Like uh, I'm just trying to follow the outline. Uh, I know I wrote it. So I I was I. But you know, it's been helpful to me. So you can tell me if I'm if it's not helpful. Um, really broad strokes. The a big part of the case was simply about were Asian-American applicants unfairly discriminated against, right? Yes. So that's, that's what it entails. It's a, it's, a, it's a fairly straightforward case that um, nominally Asian-American plaintiffs brought claiming racial discrimination against them.
1: Yes. And, and nobody I feel like that's- Well, and, that, and, and, and more importantly, nobody really denied that Asian students were being discriminated against. Right. Yeah, there was nobody a lot really of denies cases, that because and I'll, I'll if they denied to... that, if they denied that, then we there would be no case. Because yeah, you have if to. If they had one on the basis, this. if they had one on the basis that there was no injury to Asian Americans, which Harvard did claim at the district court level where this lawsuit was filed in Boston, right? So what happened was, SFFA and these Asian students filed a lawsuit saying that they were discriminated against and suffered harm because of it. And then Harvard filed to dismiss that lawsuit saying that there was no evidence of discrimination. And while the trial court, the district court, that first level court, ultimately decided for Harvard and against the plaintiffs at what they call the dismissal level or at the summary judgment level, when it was at the stage of the lawsuit where the plaintiffs had to prove or, or demonstrate that, they're w- that they were discriminated against, the court found in their favor, said, no, there's enough here. There is a clear pattern of discrimination here that we're going to have to look, that we are going to have to move towards the later stages of this where we're going to start doing subpoenas and we're going to start compelling Harvard to turn over documents. There's enough here to force them to do that. Right. So so there is, you're right, uh, th- like the, the basis of this is that there that Asian American students were being discriminated against, and that that was sort of like, that's at, by the time it got to the Supreme Court, that's just assumed. We, we've already, at this point, basically for, stipulated to that happening. No one, like Harvard is no longer arguing, or UNC is no longer arguing, that Asian American students are being discriminated against. But what they are arguing is that they're doing so in a lawful manner.
2: Yeah, where we come to the concept of strict scrutiny. Do you want to give us the strict scrutiny? you want to give us the rundown on that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you notice in the um, opinions, you'll see a lot of like upfront references to the Civil War, right? Like ever since the Civil War, since the Civil War, this and that. That is because after this, there's, we have these what are called the Civil War Amendments. And it wasn't until the 14th Amendment came in the late 1800s, after the Civil War, where you have this concept that, uh, you know, regardless of race, it doesn't mention race, but it just says all, it's called the Equal Protection Clause. I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but it basically says that laws cannot be applied differentially to people. They have to be applied equally to people, right? But then there's this whole complicated history after... Where there were specific programs like the Freedmen's Bureau and stuff that was set up to help freed, freed, freed slaves along with other people. And so there's this historical debate as to, after the Fourteenth Amendment, are laws allowed to ha- have are they allowed to be like race conscious, right? Like if we're going to set up like a specific program, government program to held, to help free slaves, freed slaves. Isn't that not a colorblind law? Because you're specifically helping freed black slaves. So there's this whole debate and it's, it's a complicated debate. It's not an easy one, but you know, and the classic example of a law, which I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the justices brought up, I forgot the name of the case, but there was one where the warden of a state penitentiary uh, segregated the, the, the prisoner population by race. And so someone sued and said that that's, you know, that's a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It's a state-run facility, and they've segregated us. And the prison warden said, well, or the, you know, the prison said, well, there's been really unmanageable levels of interracial violence. And so the only way that we could, you know, stop this was basically to segregate the population by race. And that passed the test of what they call strict scrutiny, which is a court made doctrine of review where there is a discriminatory law out there, either de facto, which means like by effect, or prima facie means like it actually says that it's discriminatory, which affirmative action is prima facie uh, discriminatory because Harvard is saying, yes, we use race, right? which we talk about later why they say that. But When you have a discriminatory law, on its face, it's violating the Constitution. It's violating the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. That's where I think a lot of people don't understand. Like Harvard is on the back foot here. They have violated, knowingly, violated on its face the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It itself concedes that. Everyone agrees to this. But what they're saying is the way I've done it passes what's called the strict scrutiny test, similar to the prison warden saying what what he did. And it's just a simple 2 pronged test. The first is is there like a compelling state interest in play here? Like is there what is the reason for you to be doing this? It better be good because you are engaging in prohibited racial or sexual or religious discrimination, what have you? Right? Discrimination of what we call a protected class. So, you're discriminate, you're break, you're violating one of the core protections of the Constitution number one prong of strict scrutiny is you better have a good reason. Is there a compelling state interest? And then the second prong of that is also very simple, which is, okay, well, if you have a compelling state interest, is your discriminatory law or policy, whatever, is it narrowly tailored to actually further that state interest? Are you actually achieving what you want to do in the least discriminatory way possible? And if you can... If you can convince the court on both accounts, then the court will find in your favor that it is not violating the Equal Protection Clause. And so that, this, this is obviously going to be a highly contested area of the law. And the reason that we even have strict scrutiny is because you've ran up against very practical, um, very practical problems with the notion that all laws should be colorblind all the time. Because there are times when we're trying to do something that makes a lot of sense, and you know we're trying to like prevent people from killing each other or we're trying to help freed slaves get their life you know get their life started uh you know in a post civil war you know environment or we're trying to help integrate the schools and black students need an extra amount of help or assistance and affirmative action comes out of that it comes out of the idea that after we had Centuries of slavery and Jim Crow laws and black codes and, you know, full on segregation under Plessy, that we needed to do something to help black students, you know, get a foothold in our system of education. That's the origin of affirmative action. And that was sort of, quote, what was at stake. Right.
0: And And then in uh, Backey, using that test, uh, who who was the who the justice who, who kind of like let that opinion? I think um, it was Powell. Powell, know, yeah. right? Okay, so he says,
2: "I say it like uh, I didn't know that two days ago." <laughs>
0: well, hey, just you probably know more than that than like ninety nine percent of the the, the Twitterati <laughs> out there. But so he says, "Okay, the okay, we got to have affirmative action, but we cannot uh, base it on the idea to re, like you you mentioned the Freedman Bureau." we can no longer really say we're doing it to redress the wrongs we did against the slaves or their children because, you know, time has passed and it's like, how much longer can we, you know, what are we going to do? Like some kind of, I guess, DNA test to see who's who's a slave. And if you're white, what what if you didn't own slaves? What if you're like a European immigrant or like uh, is from South America or whatever? So he says, actually, no, what we got to do now is say, the real reason for affirmative action is, there's a state interest in diversity. Diversity helps schools provide better education. Helps. Back it was a medical school, if I if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Doctors, you know, you, you got to know how to treat people of different races, or you know, bedside manner improves whatever. And that that was always kind of like an iffy I mean, thing because um, he was the only one who said that, right? Because there were other concurring justices, but there were
1: yeah. And I think well, I think his well, the his view of the, diversity the of that, was a little case. different. Well, I, I, I think his version, his idea of diversity in that case is a little different than our current vision of like this sort of like Benetton diversity, right? I think I think he, I have to reread the opinion, but I, I gather he was talking more about creating like a professional, like we're talking about medical schools in that case. It made sense that if you have a society that's as diverse as ours, we're going to need to train a diverse set of doctors, that kind of reflects society. Like we can't just have all white doctors, you know, like I think that's what he was trying to get at, but that kind of morphed later into uh, diversity for diversity's sake, which uh, is something but I think that's pretty in-
0: similar to the reason. Like, cause I read the, um, what was it? The uh, first circuit report, and they were describing all these like reports that Harvard relied on, like the Corona report. And they were all saying, you Know in, in these days, you know, corporations they want to hire people who know how to deal with diverse groups of people, so you know, if that's what um Powell said, it seems pretty similar to what people are trying to justify
1: it now, perhaps. I think that there has been a shift, though, um, where they're you know, this the the, I mean, and, and it's it, it might be interesting, well, I don't know, but like, I think he. Also, probably wanted to avoid the idea that there was a case for reparations, and that past past uh, injustices and crimes and you know genocides and slavery need to be redressed in the laws. I think that that opened up a Pandora's box for them, and they were like, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's a little dangerous." Was, you yeah,
0: know. it's like, okay, how how long? Like, wh- where's the limit? And and then we get to that in Grutter where, you know, like um, Sandra Day O'Connor actually sets kind of like a 25-year limit sort of. But, yeah, I think his worry was, you know, as time goes on, how can you be saying you're redressing past wrongs to, you know, generations that are getting more removed from the original crime?
2: Yeah. So going back to strict scrutiny. So the, the ruling basically said that uh, that Harvard and UNC's uh, case could not pass strict scrutiny, right? Be- and one of the things that stuck stuck out is that because their their rationale for the use their use of race in admissions, again going back to what Teen said, they are both admitting that they used race in their admissions policies. So the idea that they were discriminating, however you want to interpret that word, is is just that was not being contested at all. Uh, what they presented as uh ju- their justifications for the use of race in admissions is uh is is a handful of things training future leaders uh the acquisition of new knowledge based on diverse outlooks, a robust marketplace of ideas and pr- and producing engaged and productive citizens and It seems like the the majority uh ru- found that these interests they actually can't be re- they can't be subject to ju- judicial review. So they fail on the first leg of strict scrutiny, right? Like you can't even determine if there's a compelling interest there. If you can't really, if you can't really examine the rationale concretely, is that accurate yeah. yes.
1: or or anything like that? But see, that's a that that makes that's what makes this a seminal case. Yeah, right. Because so, because because a lot of affirmative action programs have been struck down in the courts. They don't all make it to the Supreme Court, but affirmative action programs, you know, and I'm talking about race conscious. Uh, admissions programs for higher learning, both undergrad and grad school, some survive strict scrutiny and some do not. And you know, I told, I gave you the example Jess, of the um, uh, of the Banner Key Scholarship at the University of Maryland, which I won in 1996, and I attended the school on a full scholarship that just the year before had been earmarked only for black students. And I thought that that was a great thing. I thought that if the University of Maryland wanted to attract Highly qualified black students onto campus, and they thought that that was something that was really important to them as a school. Well, they put their money where their mouth is, and they said, "Well, then we're going to have a scholarship, and we're going to pay you. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fund your entire college uh, experience." If be, but we're looking for highly qualified black students, and that that the court struck down as being too. It's it's too close to a quota. You can't do that. I mean, this is a very like. This is for students that were
2: already. This is for students that were already admitted, though.
1: No, no, no. Oh, yes. They. I mean, they were already. They applied, and then they would look at the. They would look at this pool, and if there was a black student that they were like, we really want this person on campus. Right. This is a great student, and they're black, and we want them on campus. Now that is the definition to me of using race as a plus, not a minus. You're giving that person money. That's a plus. You're not taking money away from me, right? And so this is a, per- this is a student who otherwise, you know, is fully qualified to go to that school. And not only that, has demonstrated, you know, ex- you know ex- exceptional academic achievement. And they're going to go and try and lure them onto campus with money. And they got struck down. It didn't survive strict scrutiny. It happens all the time. But that was not a seminal case. I mean, you're not going to find, oh, my God, they struck down this affirmative action program. Why? Because it failed on the second prong, right? Right. Like, it failed. These are things that fail on the second prong. And and I and I sent you that link, and it said that the, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was the Fourth Circuit that found that it was not narrowly tailored, right? It wasn't narrowly tailored enough to achieve that, to, to achieve their interest in the first prong. And so – I think Backy had really established what the first prong is in it and and basically saying that yeah, it is a compelling state interest to have a diverse incoming class. And so you can use race as a factor, but it's the second prong that we're going to actually be reviewing to make sure that you're doing a narrowly tailored program where you can't have you can't have discriminatory quotas, you can't do this, you can only use race as a positive. And I think that. That's where the sort of inherent unworkability of strict scrutiny kind of comes into play because it's like, okay, that's how we get into regression analyses that, you know, two hired mathematicians come to completely different conclusions as to whether Asians are actually being discriminated. One says, yes, they're facing horrific discrimination. The other comes out and saying, no, actually, if you looked, if you controlled this variable like you should have, you'll see that they aren't facing any discrimination. And I, I don't know who
0: to believe. Yeah, I was trying to spend like yesterday trying to understand what the hell is going on. You got you got that card guy who's the, who's the Harvard guy who was saying,
2: "Oh, no, if it's the, uh, if it's the report that, that I'm thinking of, maybe send it to me." Um uh they make a mistake. They make an average of an average. Wait, uh just what are you talking about? I it, it. I remember reviewing this a little while ago. So my memory. So like, ne- don't quote me on this or anything. Of course, I'm saying it like on a recorded pod. But uh, just don't quote me on this. But I remember having some trouble with that one because it looked like they were that they were using the same numbers twice. They were using an average of an average to then compile to to then compile um um an
0: index. Yeah, that that's like here's, here's the thing. to understand.
1: But here's the thing. I think that a lot of Asian people looking at this and having to go through these analyses and spot problems in the way that some statistician made an average out to, to claim that either Asian students weren't facing discrimination or were or whatever is infuriating in a way because it's like, look, obviously we fucking are. Okay. Like if you just look at the stats, it is clear that Asian-American students are being held to a different academic standard than everyone else. Not just black, not just Latino, but also white students. Asian-Americans are faced have, – we have to score like 60, 70, 80 points higher than a white student and et cetera till we start getting equal uh, admit rates, right? So there is clear discrimination. The very fact that we're even getting to this second prong analysis – where we bring in all these experts and we're looking at whether the um, what, you know, and it's like really getting really like rhetorical and, you know, only pluses, but no negatives. It's, you know, it's like, and Roberts had rightfully said, in his opinion, that that's absolutely nonsense. It's like, what difference does it make, you know? Also, well,
0: like, yeah, because when you're talking about uh, admissions to exclusive spots, a plus for someone is a negative for you.
1: Yeah, it's a it's negative, absolutely. Yeah, it's a zero sum non, it's a, it's a zero-sum admissions game. Obviously, there's only so many spots, right? So if I give stickers to all, all everyone except the Asian students, right? Okay, well, it's a positive to everyone else. I didn't mean, negative, you know. The fact that we're even mired in this kind of debate. And this, this level of argumentation is a slap in the face to a lot of Asians. And I feel this way. Because what they're saying is, no, this is an like argument worth having. No, I know you're being discriminated against, but let's hear them out. Let's hear them out. And I think that the, the, the reason this is such a, a seminal case, it is a seminal case, is because unlike all the other ones where they're mired in the second-prong analysis of whether this thing is narrowly tailored to further this state interest in there being a diverse campus... This did away with the first prong. This said that the first, there is no compelling state interest to this form of discrimination, no matter how well your statistician comes out to defend it. You're you're pursuing an illegitimate goal. So you can throw all of your statistical reports out the window. I don't care about it because that's second prong analysis. That's us assuming that there is some legitimacy to be had here in discriminating against Asian American students. So it's like, okay, hey, uh, you know, you re- you're- these Asian students were rejected because they're Asian, and that's awful, yes. But let's hear the case as to why that's a good thing. And I think the fact that we even got to the point of saying, well, let's hear as to why that's a good thing, really felt like there's something fundamentally wrong here. There's something fundamentally wrong here. And I think when you start reading these cases, this is why I would recommend people read these cases – understand where we're starting from we're starting from the proposition under the constitution that the laws that we should be all treated equally under the law regardless of race that is the ideal that is the that is the constitution without any there's no real like debate about that okay it is absolutely about equal treatment under the law and all of these cases about affirmative action about Asian American students having to face higher, you know, admission standards is absolutely 100% unmitigated, like uncontested by all sides. The fact that an Asian student will be treated differently for admission into a university, which is by the operation of law, state policy, right? We can talk about why it's very complicated, but these are state policies that the Asian students are being held to a higher standard because of race. Period. I don't need to hear any more about stat, you know, about, oh, well, okay, this is how we talk about it in the, in, in the back room, in the admissions room. We don't say race. You know, we don't, it's like, no, I see your fucking stats. Asian students have to score at least 100 points higher than the white students. Why is that? Tell me, explain. And then you hear a, a million fucking arguments from them as to why you're insane for even bringing it up. And I'm like, read the case. The whole point of having this debate is that you admitted that you are in violation of the Equal Protection Clause, but that you should be allowed to do it. And that's why Harvard, you know, weirdly advanced, They're they're fighting this case to say they want to be able to use race as a factor. Why are they even fighting this case and spending, I think, 30 million bucks doing it? Why are they even arguing it? But then at the same time, claiming that not a single applicant decision, admissions decision, was ultimately decided on the basis of race. In other words, race didn't really matter. Why would Harvard claim that race didn't matter and then spend $30 million defending affirmative action? That's a very interesting question to me. And I think part of it is that they are actually fighting for not just the practical aspects of, of these sort of holistic admissions, which they will continue to do. And they'll, you know, they'll just, they'll just take out of account grades and SATs. So you can no longer put these, these matrices together as to how, you know, Asian students score higher on the SATs and GPA than other students. Okay. So they'll still do their holistic things. They'll still be able to get the classes that they want and achieve the, uh, the the diversity that they want just like UC Berkeley was able to do it despite Prop 209 but why were they so defending this law and i think it's because this is a much bigger fight than just affirmative action this has to go with core interpretations of the constitution that go back 160 years at this point you know 150 years yeah. but this is ideo- it's an ideological war this is not just about admissions
0: yeah. I, mean, I mean, speaking of just how um, incomprehensible that second prong is, uh, just to give a little bit detail, what, one of the most contentious issues with the Harvard admissions is that they had like these six buckets of scores that they would give applicants. So it would be like academics, extracurriculars, athletics, uh, personal score, which was the big thing with Asian Americans. I forget the fifth one. There was another one called school support. School support is essentially your teachers' recommendations and and other kinds of you know things that attest to your to your personal character. And Asian Americans actually scored really high in academics and extracurriculars, which was really funny to me because like when I was in high school, the the stereotype against Asian applicants was uh we only got academics, like extracurriculars. They were saying, yo, go join more clubs. I guess because we took we took that um, advice and now we're excelling at the extracurriculars. But school support uh, the Asian Americans Very good. Uh, Oh yeah. Interviews. That was the other one. Alumni interviews did, you know, very well. These were not contested issues. It was just this personal score thing, which was this thing that was given by the admissions officers at Harvard that uh, attested various things about uh, a student or applicants, just like likability, uh, whether this person was a good person to know, whatever the fuck that means, leadership, uh, inspiration, whatever narrative and all that. And you know they asked like why is this markedly lower for asian americans and markedly high for like say black students especially when you compare asian americans to uh their scoring the personal scores with the school support scores um and it was just like it, it, i was reading the decision and it said well you know the the asian students their, their teachers recommendations might have been a little bit worse than white students but that might have been because uh you know most asian americans you know especially compared to the high scoring white students tend to go to public schools where the guidance counselors and teachers are more they gotta deal with like thousands of students as opposed to like a couple hundred and all that and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about how are we supposed to then determine this It, it and it is purposely to throw you into this impossible analysis of you gotta find out where, where you know all that bullshit so
2: it's... Well, in discovery, I mean, it's in the footnotes of the ruling, I think they they uh, capture like fragments of emails passed around by admissions officers
0: Wait, are you are you talking about the the joke email by the Thomas Hibino guy to the William Fitzsimmons?
2: Uh, I don't know anything about that. I'm talking about the footnotes of the ruling, the ss f f a ruling oh, okay. uh, where they do snippets of admissions officers
1: basically oh, heck, the heck no Asian one. Really like,
2: yeah, like, oh, yeah, got another Asian, you know, got another Asian in the in the bucket. Um, you got a brown you know, girl here, yeah. Who I mean, gets it's despite, a, like,
1: like, when they talk about crucial, like, we're doing the crucial work, which is what uh, Justice Jackson said. I'm like, what crucial work? These are people, these are a bunch of like white people sitting in the back room of like in, in, in some Harvard admissions building saying, I got a brown girl. I mean, really, this, this yeah, is, this, and then this like, like, yeah, what just... all this hype. High... <laughs> Oh yeah,
0: yeah, just what, what I was talking about. There was a article in the New Yorker that came out, I think, several months ago. It was written by Jeannie Suck Gerson. It was about her trying to get this one email exchange between this guy named Thomas Sabino, who was I, I forgot what head of agency it was, but it, it was essentially in charge of one of its duties like overseeing Harvard's like admissions policies or whatever. He had sent an email to William Fitzsimmons, who's uh what 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 is he? Like Harvard's like Dean of Dean is, of Admissions. Dean of admissions. And uh not only did Harvard try to seal it or like hide it, but the District Court of Massachusetts was working very hard to seal it. So uh you know Gerson was like well this whole case depends on whether you can trust Harvard behind closed doors to not be biased against Asian Americans. And there's this thing that might reveal that and you try to hide it, it destroys a lot of credibility in your case, and eventually she gets access to it. And it's about it's kind of like this you know, stupid joke, uh, where it, it involves like some hypothetical Filipino American student has all these like hardships, but uh, you know, it's it just again another piece that shows what you know, that heck no Asian thing, or you know, whether the SAT stats it all just adds up to all these like pieces of evidence, and it, you know, the whole piece is about. It, it, this thing is all about how much can we trust. I mean, not only Harvard but UNC and other elite colleges. How much can we trust them? And all these things say you can't. And you got all these so-called progressives lining up to be uh, human shields for these for institutions. Harvard, which are, for Harvard, which any on any other day they will say are perpetuators of classism, elitism, misogyny, whatever. But on this one thing, they can do no wrong. Like, yeah, how I mean, dare I mean, you they, question They
1: act them. like, and this is, you know, it's so, it's, it's, I feel like people who make accusations are often the ones who are actually guilty of the thing that they're accusing people of, which is that Asians are creating inter POC conflict by doing this. That we are, that, a, that the Asian, uh, be, you know, the, the, the Asian plaintiffs in this case and any Asian who supports them and having a, their day in court, which we can talk about the reactions to this later too, which has just been abominable but that they're sowing discord between POC because we're like, you know, we're scabs. We're like basically not. Yeah. And I'm like, no, actually, we're s- they make it seem like this is SFFA versus black people. No, no, no. You, you see this? It's, like, it's if you SFFA read... versus fucking Harvard. Have you, have you guys read
0: um, Justice Jackson's dissent?
1: No, I've no, I'm not. I'm okay, not so it's
0: essentially her outlining the history of uh, wrongs done, uh, done against black people. So the way – I, I think to understand these people's um, – by these people, I mean the people, the Harvard apologists here. To them, this is a black versus white issue. Just like J- Jackson's dissent is saying this is like all the wrongs done against black people. And here come these Asians with their annoying interests. How dare they not take she, it on no, the wait, chin? Wait, wait,
1: but did she really say that or are you – No, no. You she not, I'm
0: not saying she said that. But okay. the, if you – I mean obviously she's a Supreme Court justice. She's not going to yeah. say that. But the way she frames it, there's a black and white issue. Uh that's what ultimately comes down to. Like these white people have done black people wrong, and this is what they owe them. And and these Asians, these J- Johnny and Janie come lately with their annoyingly high SAT scores and everything. Bunch of great grubbers. A bunch of great grubbers. Um, you know, they, they should be grateful that they're allowed in the country in the first place. Haven't we given them enough? Fuck, we gave uh everything everyone all at once an Oscar. How much more can they want? And it, it, that's the way they frame it. And and that's how I think you, you have to understand because um I mean Jake Caspian King recently wrote a piece for the New Yorker where he said, Hey, you know, Asians are supposedly the plaintiffs here and Asian Americans are getting a lot of the the hate for this, but nobody is actually talking about them or us, you know. Okay. It's yeah.
2: Let's let's roll it back some because we just touched on a lot of things. Um so just to recap up to this point, just, I mean, laws is really hard for me. Uh, I, I, I don't know. So like, so what, so what the ruling is saying that um, uh, th- this Harvard and UNC, uh, their policies could not pass strict scrutiny um, and they were able to make their case under a provision of Backey. That's uh, the case in Backey. There were like six things that the university of California claimed it had. It should, it should be allowed um it should be allowed to have final say over as to the composition of its student body. All of it was struck down except for one provision, which is that there is some, edu- some nominal educational benefit to diversity in its classes. And that was allowed to stand. And that's the, the, the thing the, the, that, that Harvard the, and UNC
1: – That's the compelling state interest, prong one of strict scrutiny. Yeah. So, so I think the way to think they... about it is that most cases are focused on prong two, and they just take for granted when a university says, well, we do this in the name of diversity. And they'll cite Backy. And they'll be like, okay, or they'll cite Gruder and this, you know, the critical mass theory of, of diversity, and they'll say, okay, we'll go with Gruder. We'll go with Backy. Prong one satisfied. Prong one kind of became like, I, I, I mean, what is affirmative action? I mean, no, nobody really has a great definition of affirmative action. I think the best definition of it it probably means race conscious decisions for admissions to higher, you know, institutional higher learning that use the. Diversity justification for prong one of strict scrutiny as derived from Grutter and Backey and, you know, in related cases, but mainly those two. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that's what affirmative action is, meaning it's a pre-set, pre-approved prong one, compelling state interest, and you just say that. It's just, it's just like a pro forma thing. Like, you just say it, and then you get to prong two. Was it narrowly tailored? That, that, that was affirmative action.
2: Yeah, that sounds Mm -hmm. fair. And it's in this case is significant by saying that that provision is actually uh, uh, like, okay, um, you, we probably do have to defer to these schools to have final say for the composition of its student body, but not at the expense of, uh, of any particular group. That means, you know, race as a negative was prohibited. By Becky or Gruder, or maybe both. I'm not sure. Basically, saying that you cannot use race as a negative, and that's what and that's what's being argued here. Um, so the nominal educational benefit, of racial diversity, kind of implies stereotyping, right? Uh, that they are arguing that just having it, it implies that the critical part, the, the important part about diversity on campus is that there are people different races but what that boils down to is assuming that people of a certain race have some ineffable characteristic that everyone in that race shares
1: yeah but we're still in but we're still in narrowly tailored prong to territory meaning like uh we, we you're what you're talking about is things that we need to discuss as a court when we've already established that what we're doing is justified in the name is at least like the i the nature of what we're doing is justified under this idea that the state has a compelling interest in in the diversity of the class of you know of of admits and and okay. and the the majority opinion here by Roberts i thought this could be up for debate right and they they always are but i thought Roberts was pretty clearly saying that diversity is just it's far too like hard to measure and amorphous. And it's like, not only is it hard to measure, but like, if it's hard to measure, how are we even going to have a meaningful prong to debate as to how you're achieving this? Like, how do you even measure diversity? Is it purely just racial diversity? Because that's the case. Then it sounds like we're just looking at something along the lines of a quota system. You're saying that's not what you want to do, right? So I think that... Yeah, and it calls into question other, like uh, Harvard's policies is aggressively like religion blind. Right. So I think what is going on here is the court is basically saying no more of these kinds of litigations. No, like we do not want to be have our courts engaged in this type of back and forth over whether race was, you know, this like very rhetorically clever and tricky discussion about whether race was used as a positive or a negative. I mean, I think he was right to be like, "What are you even talking about? How do no, you I even dis- begin I to debate that?" I actually disagree them? with that.
2: I actually disagree with that. Maybe we can get in. I'm just outlining the things that I saw as why this
1: ruling. Oh, you can be- disagree with it, but I think that that's what they were saying. It's like we're uh, not having these discussions anymore. There is okay. no. There is no more like you know automatic like you know. Uh, there's no more consideration at the court level, you know, as to whether what you're doing is, you know, kosher under the name of diversity.
2: Okay. I mean, yeah, I, uh, generally, I think I agree. I'm I just mean, listening. agree or
1: disagree. I'm just saying that that's what the holding is here.
2: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: You know, and, and it doesn't matter what you think or I think because we're not judges. Well, that, you know, like no, no, I'm putting, not talking – I'm not throwing disagreeing. throwing the hammer down
2: what you're saying is true i'm not sure yep. what that'll mean for for future litigation i, I that's mm-hmm. that's way beyond beyond me uh i'm just listing the things that i saw as why they ruled the thing the way they ruled so the first thing it said was it doesn't pass strict scrutiny uh that goes against they kind of overturned becky and gruder the one thing that was allowed to 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 stay on the books from there uh because they uh, these schools used race as a negative against asian specifically and by necessity deploys mass stereotyping, which were already outlawed um, in prior precedent. They weren't limited in duration. People talk about the 25 year thing in Grutter. Uh, I'm not sure how bind- people seem to th- seem to talk about it as some kind of binding thing, like Sandra Day O'Connor writing that, uh, you know, she expects that, you know, race-based consideration should have like a 25 year sunset. Like she doesn't anticipate it needing to be a thing in 25 years. Um, but uh, neither Harvard nor UNC were able to to prove that they had any plan to sunset. Like, how are you measuring progress against your own metrics for diversity? What are you getting cop, closer or further
1: What a cop-out cop of a of a thing to say, too. Yeah, you yeah. could discriminate against Asian students, but only for 25 years.
2: Yeah, and they, they were arguing yeah. like, oh, well, we thought we weren't going to get challenged until 2028. Okay, so you wanted a free pass to screw over Asian kids until 2028? Yeah,
1: So I guess in that case, the plaintiffs were white, but whatever. Right. Yeah, well, the, the I mean, in this case,
2: yeah. yeah, but they're, they're arguing that, oh, we thought we had 25 years before we had to think about this. Like, fuck you. Yeah. It's just such um, a
1: stupid, it's, a, it's just a stupid thing to write. So but long yeah. story
2: short, this is, the ruling just establishes at, at heart, Asian applicants faced discrimination in the application process.
1: Like, full stop, right? Well, no, that that was, that was, that's a district court level finding.
2: Okay. Yeah. So
1: at that point, it's already in the record and, you know. Okay,
2: I guess this is more reacting to popular opinion about this, Mm
1: -hmm. that it's
2: a that's a ruling like stripping back rights for black people. Like, no, that's that's that was not the meat of this case here. Just purely separating fact from fiction here in this. Depends
1: on what depends on what they think, you know, rights for black people means. Well I mean yeah.
2: it seems I mean, like to to talk about this in a in a in an intellectually honest way, it means that you have to accept the discrimination against Asian students happened whether you cannot it, it, the only thing in question here is whether you see that as a good or a bad thing like there's right, a there's then, a whole side that doesn't want to admit the discrimination so there's a whole side that says discrimination didn't happen, but it kind of should. Right there's another side that says discrimination did happen, and very few people are actually willing to say this because that just doesn't sound great, um, and they default look. to saying that it's actually mass discrimination against black people or brown people in this case. No, no, in which case, sure. Asians are supposed to just kind of take the L and stay quiet about it.
0: No, I, but I think that is the the mainstream position. If you if you look at you know the the standard Asian American liberal response to this is yeah, you, you got called like a boring chink by a William uh, Fitzsimmons, but hey, you got into the Berkeley, you got into Amherst, what the hell are you complaining about? I think that is the, the mainstream position that, like, as I said, in the Jackson descent, this is a black versus white issue. You, a, or we Asian Americans, even a lot of Asian Americans uh, saying this, are, should just stay the fuck out and know your place and be grateful. You're kind of let in in the first place and when when the actual people who matter the most are fighting over it, stay the hell out. Yeah. Don't make us look bad and now you've ruined it for the that's rest
1: because, of the lives. That's because Asian liberals by and large are amoral strivers. Who've and, also gained and they, 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 they access don't, to the system. Right. They don't care. I mean, until... like, like I, I, I like I would like to think about it more. In, I mean, it depends on how, who's affected, right? So... Let's say that their kid that their kid goes to a very expensive private daycare, and that day, let's say it's thirty percent Asian, and you know, sixty percent white and then ten percent other. And um on a given day, like a certain teacher, let's say she's a white teacher, a white lady, because that's you know who they hate the most, um, hands out merit stickers to this class of like, you know five-year-olds or six-year-olds and every student gets five stickers except all the Asian students only get three they're gonna throw a fucking fit are you kidding me they will throw a fucking fit you know and they're right to they would be right to because does sticker do stickers matter right could they have gone elsewhere and bought their own stickers why do I even want stickers from a white lady it's all irrelevant but those are the things that they're saying about You know, when you say like, okay, well, he ended up going to Berkeley. What does he have to complain about? Well, that's like, well, your kid could—you bought your kid an extra two stickers at the dollar store. What does your kid have to complain about? The point isn't that racial discrimination is okay if it doesn't ruin your life. You know, the point is that like, you like this is just completely unjustified. You're 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 just discriminating against people based because of their race, and you're saying that okay, well, I can you know. I, as, uh, you know, myself being a Harvard-educated liberal or whatever, like, I think I'm strong enough to take that kind of discrimination. You know, I don't need to go to Harvard. My kid doesn't need to go to Harvard. We could still be good people. And it, it just completely throws out, like, any moral or ethical consideration here. Now, if they wanted to debate this at a moral and ethical level, fine, but they don't. You know, they they're just... Literally, like I see Jeff Yang like just pile onto this kid Calvin. Yang. You know what he said? He was like, "Oh, you know what? I just found out this kid's Canadian." He was like, "I'm not trying to bag on Canadians, but if you want to come to this country and ruin like what we fought so hard to establish <laughs> here, why don't you maybe just do that in Canada?" And I'm like, "What the <laughs> fuck?" Not only that, what about you being what a what more 2nd immigrant. What yeah. is this fucking stupid asshole talking about? Not only Jeff that, Jeff Yang is but a he-
0: stupid asshole. Not only that, but he it'd be one thing if like his own kid couldn't get into Harvard and oh he he went he had to go to like UMass Amherst. And I'm okay with that. Then you know but I'd be like, okay, you walk the walk. But you know what? His kid got into Harvard. And then he had a horrible tweet thread uh where he's like saying, uh, yeah, he got in because he had uh he sold a TV pilot about cooking with his grandma, and it was so heartfelt that uh that you know people bought it as if that had nothing to do with the fact that uh hudson yang was star of uh fresh of the world which ha- i'm sure had something to do with the connection that he had with jeff yang who for whatever reason for like over 20 years has been some kind of uh cultural spokesperson for asian americans it's just so fucking appalling that it- it'd be one thing if if we were being l- like guided by let's say people who had not gone to the schools, had had to go to their more, you know, let's say local state schools, but now had ascended to, you know, position of power. All all the reasons that whether you're like a working class Asian American or, you know, very rich, the reason why everyone, including these uh, Asian American liberals want to go to these schools saying, hey, you know what? I went to uh, University of Colorado Boulder or whatever, and now I'm this great person. Here's how you can do it. Fuck these Ivy Leagues. Uh, here's like but no all we ever fucking hear from are, are the Jeff Yangs the Jennifer Lees all the people who went to Harvard who went to Columbia and their yeah. kids go to these without fucking, fucking fail they've already gone they already went to yeah. the school and they're saying you you great grubbers why don't you learn your place why don't you go to your I don't know yeah. uh, community college or that's whatever why, that's why the irony... are you ruining my but, reputation uh, with my with my non-Asian friends
1: that's why GD Suk is the only I think like you know uh, Asian American academic in those circles. She's a Harvard law professor who has any ounce of intellectual honesty about this because she is a law professor because she understands like the actual arguments and history of what's being litigated here. And you know, I read her New Yorker article, and I didn't think it was anything that special except that she didn't engage in totally fucking dishonest arguments, and she just sort of like covered it the way. You know, a calm, rational law professor would do it. Right. Well,
0: I thought she, in the end, she was like saying, look, this ruins Harvard's reputation. Well, she didn't like say that strongly, but saying, look, this doesn't look good for Harvard. You know, this is like an innocent entity would not be doing this.
1: I thought that was the, what her ultimate. But, 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 but that, I mean, I I think she's, she's agreeing with that there were aspects to this that were justified. The ruling was justified. But I'm saying like, you know, I don't think that she gave a very like politicized view of this. I think she was just giving the like a lawyer's view of it, like a law professor's view. And a lot of law professors who like know the case well or know, know understand this well, you know, they, they don't talk about it in such like explosive, you know, bombastic terms. But well, the, it doesn't support it,
2: it. Just reading the ruling, it's far more prosaic than the emotional hysteria. It's yes. provoked in the media, yes. but the Asian it's American far Studies complex. Technical. It's the far Asian American pro- Studies,
1: yeah. but the Asian American Studies complex. I think it's the professors that find themselves. I know your mother's a sociologist. I'm excluding your mother from this, <laughs> but I think it's the sociology department that is producing some of the worst Asian American academics, like the Janelle Wongs of the world. Yeah, uh, we'll get to her in a second. And the no, my Lee. mom.
2: My mom, ha- my I've, I talked to my mom privately, yeah. and it's just uh, yeah, she's not part of that whole complex. I'm proud to say.
1: Yeah, um, and I think maybe your mom, it luckily, predated this. I I would say that there is a cultural um, thing going on. Now I'm starting to sound like part of the IDW Ben Shapiro thing, but there there look there is such a thing as woke culture. We know it, and it is found. It is taking root in part. You know, in parts of the. You know, academic uh, of the uh, elite academic institutions, and I do think it's starting to fi- it, it it finds itself more, I think, in the softer sciences, and it's it's spreading from there. But I think it 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 is takes root at most in places where I think there isn't a clear like There, like the the this when I say soft sciences, I mean there isn't like a really rigid tradition and mode of analysis like the way you would find like say in, in the hard sciences and I would say in law. It's not as easy for it to take hold in law but it is taking hold there as well.
2: I mean law and, is pretty procedural. If you, there's some hardbound rules that you have to follow. Yeah. Um, I think reading like understanding law became easier for me if I started to see it as having like, like, if I actually kind of saw it as code like
1: software, it's very, it's very. A lot of it is, I mean, especially, yeah. It's, it is when you talk like about rule sets, of law, if the,
2: like an if a then a, a defined output an input. I mean, that's yeah. very procedural. It's and very rigid in terms and, of and categories precise. Categories
1: and of class, and cl- yeah, and I mean by not social class, but you know, coding class. Yes. Um. Yeah, um very much. Yeah.
2: But I mean, just going back to the whole our whole like intellectual class here, or the anti intellectual class. I I mean. I, as an as an Asian American I would actually feel a, a lot more um if they could only just be honest about this right I saw a democracy now clip that had Janelle Wong in it and you know of course all the receipts are going to be in the show notes etc uh um, I would feel so much better if they and she's been the strongest about there's a there's uh there's a piece written by her in Viet Nguyen in the LA Times that goes in really hard on claiming that Asian Americans actually are not, di- we're not facing discrimination in the admissions process. A, that means your piece is entirely, stands on nothing, absolutely nothing. If
1: they didn't, if they weren't actually facing discrimination, then we, we, they, there shouldn't even be a court case to talk about.
2: There's, there would be absolutely nothing. And two, no. if, if we can just accept that it did happen, but it's it's presented as uh as like okay Asians you're taking an, you're taking it on the chin right now this is an l but there is a grander project of of justice racial you know racial reparations remedial um re- remedies for past wrongs you are part of this progressive push for justice for all and and you know a true a true definition of equality and equity in the united states that's that actually I could I could I could potentially see that. That includes me in this whole process. It's saying there is a sacrifice, we acknowledge it, but this is in service of some of some greater purpose. Not to say I accept it as like I'd be okay with it, but at least I would not, narratively. But I understand speaking, what you're saying. I would yeah. not
1: personally. And it's a different calculus when it's your own kid.
2: Absolutely. Like, like, and we're like, we're, every, like we, we can, can
1: all be like we can all be fucking, you know, um, you know, heroes in our imagination. I would die on the, you know, but but when it comes to your kid, I think a lot of parents, and this is being driven I think by parents and not necessarily 18, 19-year-old kids. They don't like we don't like to see our kids being discriminated against. That is a hill
2: you should that is not a that is not a hill because you of the should race try of to me fight and,
1: and, and because, because of the race of me and my partner yeah, yeah. They, oh, but I mean, Clarence
2: Thomas points that out the the absolute illogic and inflammatory nature of a of a culture war being waged on on what amounts to people's children. This this is not this is not a recipe for social harmony at all. In fact, it's yeah. antithetical to you know promoting social harmony.
0: Yeah. But just I don't think that the option would even be allowed because then that would mean. People, especially like other minority groups, especially Black people, would then owe something to Asian Americans. That is absolutely not allowed in the in the progressive ideology. We must always be the eternally grateful uh, immigrants. And t- the notion that because then, if you if you do say, okay, you know what, we're gonna kind of basically we're gonna let you have this, puts you in a position of power. That is absolutely not allowed. So you must. That's why the whole Harvard thing is predicated on the. And UNC. We always fear about UNC. I'll throw in UNC. There is a predicate on no. It's your fault. It's your fault that you uh, cannot inspire the adcoms into liking you more or whatever. It cannot ever be acknowledged that hey, you are being magnanimous and, and taking one for the team. That can absolutely never be acknowledged.
1: No, it's because you have shitty personalities. That's what Harvard literally said. Not only is the proposition in the arguments that using race as a factor is important to address. You know, uh, and I think they did make that claim that they need to address historical wrongs, though, what they really you know, the the more the more uh, compelling argument in in court up until this point was diversity. But the point of that, yes, Asian-Americans will have to make some sacrifices here was totally lost. Like you're right. Harvard never said that about the Asian kids that they held to a higher standard. They just said, well, they have shittier personalities. Literally what they said. Right. They have they have yeah. lower personality scores. They, they gave two they- reasons. They said first it might be
0: things out of our control. In, in other words, maybe our teachers just didn't like these uh, Asian American kids as much as the other kids, which is kind of proven wrong by the fact that the school support scores for Asian Americans were not that much worse. I think they were or, higher. Uh, or I think they were maybe higher. even higher. I didn't quite look into that. But secondly, they also said, well, there might be um some like cultural factors, which
1: we all know what that means, you know. Uh so not you know, leadership look I'm going to say this we're at an hour 10 or whatever and I, I'm going to say my last piece here because there's just too much to say about this but it's this it's like look your kid getting discriminated against in the admissions game yes it's not the end of the world there are a lot of good schools that are, are going to be happy to have your kid with the 1500 SAT or the 1400 SAT or the 3.6 or 3 point whatever They're gonna get a fine education in America, okay? But the really sad part about this that actually breaks my heart is to see a culture in which we are telling Asian kids to accept discrimination against them as something that they just have to live with and that it's a good thing. And that it just tells you it's the beginning of a lifelong process of telling these people, educating these young Asian kids that they're not allowed to stand up for themselves on account of them being Asian. And doing so makes you a bad person. Not not just and, that. And and, and and no, hold okay. on. If if that's what you're teaching your kids, okay, that is a far greater harm. A far fucking greater harm than saying I have to go to the state school instead of Harvard or I had to go to whatever. It, like I don't care about that. And the fact that you know people are accusing these people of being great, maybe some of them are, maybe I don't care. But I'm just saying that the lesson learned here, if the lesson learned is that the discrimination against Asian kids is a good thing and that those kids just have to learn, just internalize that as a good thing, that is a really, really deep injury that you know I think would take a lifetime to really overcome if you really buy into it. So I'm glad that there is a very forceful debate out in the, you know, out in the open now about this. I don't care about convincing people who are sure that that is the right thing, the Janelle Wong view of the world, but I want people to start speaking up and not being afraid of the label anti-black racist. you have to, you have to know in your heart, whether that's what you are, or that's what you, wh- whether you are anti-black or whether you're just trying to stand up for yourself. What matters is like what's in your own heart not what other people call you. And that, you know, these are simple lessons, but that are hard to learn under this kind of social pressure. And some people are not going to survive it. Like, I mean, survive in the sense of, uh, you know, come out with a sense of like, you know what? I trust myself, you know? And I think a lot of the pressure here is just about not letting Asian kids trust themselves and value themselves. And I fully fucking hate that shit. And I support everyone out there who is just trying to have their own view of this.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. very well said, but I I will add not only are they saying you have to accept discrimination because it's one thing to tell, uh, tell like these Asian American kids, you got to accept discrimination from like, say the fucking uh, Augusta country club. We all know that they're the bad guys, you know, whatever. This is Harvard, whom we are um, crowning as the supreme arbiters of progressive enlightened thought. You have to accept discrimination from that. And if, if you don't get accepted by these people, it's your own fucking fault. If that is what Asian-American culture is, and I say it's an absolutely craven, cowardly culture, it is absolutely not worth saving. And I would say uh, bomb it all down. Absolutely nothing worth saving about Asian-American culture or whatever Asian-American liberal culture.
1: Not, it not, is, so, not 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 when these fucking people are the ones who are helming it and it in, is, in charge it of is, the fucking project. It's
2: grown adults. I mean the thread between like Oyan Poon and Jeff Yang, these are grown adults in their forties and fifties who were inviting hate on a nineteen year old child. Absolutely disgusting. And these I are, mean, that, the, same, these are the same people who get paid lots of money to be talking heads at any p- other point in time. Talk about not your model minority, how Asians have to fight against being second class citizens and then turn around and tell another another Asian, a young Asian student who was simply pressing for his day in court to redress a perceived wrong but no, you actually have to be okay with being a second-class citizen. Your rights don't, do not deserve to be, to be respected to the full extent of the law.
1: This is the end of part one of a two-part podcast. Part two is going to be on the Patreon feed. If you want to be a Patreon supporter, just go to patreon.com slash planamag.